Act One of The Provoked Wife, a comedy by John Van Bruch. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dramatis Personae Constant, read by Adrian Stevens. Heart Free, read by Greg Giordano. Sir John Brute, read by Alan Mapstone. Treble, a singing master, read by Todd. Raiser Valet de Chambre de Sir John Brute, read by Larry Wilson. Justice of the Peace, read by Wayne Cook. Lord Rake, read by Algie Pug. Colonel Bully, companion to Sir John Brute, read by Todd. Constable, read by Leon Cole. Watchman, read by Jim Hedrick. Lady Brute, read by Wendy Katz Hiller. Belinda, her niece, read by Jen Broda. Lady Fanciful, read by Kelly Taylor. Mademoiselle, read by Sonia. Cornet, read by Yuxing. Pipe, servant to Lady Fanciful, read by Katharina. Lovewell, read by Step Heather. Servant, read by Mia Roy. Footman, read by Redrun. Porter, read by Alan Mapstone. Taylor, read by Step Heather. Page, read by Rapunzelina. Stage directions, read by T.R. Love. The Provoked Wife, a comedy. Prologue. Since tis the intent and business of the stage to copy out the follies of the age, to hold to every man a faithful glass and show him of what species he's an ass, I hope the next that teaches in the school will show our author he's a scribbling fool and that the satire may be sure to bite. Kind heaven, inspire some venomed priest to write and grant some ugly lady may indict. For I would have him lashed, by heavens I would, till his presumption swam away in blood. Three plays at once proclaim a face of brass, no matter what they are, that's not the case. To write three plays, even that's to be an ass. But what I least forgive, he knows it too, for to his cost he lately has known you. Experience shows, to many a writer smart, you hold a court where mercy never had part. So much of the old serpent's sting you have, you love to damn, as heaven delights to save. In foreign parts, let a bold volunteer, for public good, upon the stage appear. He meets ten thousand smiles to dissipate his fear, all tickle on the adventuring young beginner, and only scourge the incorrigible sinner. They touch indeed his faults, but with a hand so gentle that his merit still may stand. Kindly they buoy the follies of his pen, that he may shun em when he writes again. But tis not so in this good-natured town, All's one, an ox, a poet, or a crown. Old England's play was always knocking down. Act One, Scene One. Scene, Sir John Brute's house. 
Enter Sir John Solace. What cloying meat is love when matrimony is the source to it? Two years' marriage has debauched my five senses. Everything I see, everything I hear, everything I feel, everything I smell, and everything I taste, methinks has wife in it. No boy was ever so weary of his tutor, no girl of her bib, no nun of doing penance, or old maid of being chaste, as I am of being married. Sure, there's a secret curse entailed upon the very name of wife. My lady is a young lady, a fine lady, a witty lady, a virtuous lady, and yet I hate her. There is but one thing on earth I loathe beyond her. That's fighting. Would my courage come up to a fourth part of my ill nature, I'd stand buff to her relations and thrust her out of doors. But marriage has sunk me down to such an ebb of resolution, I dare not draw my sword, though even to get rid of my wife. But here she comes. Enter Lady Brute. Do you dine at home today, Sir John? Why do you expect I should tell you what I don't know myself? I thought there was no harm in asking you. If thinking wrong were an excuse for impertinence, Women might be justified in most things they say or do. I'm sorry I have said anything to displease you. Sorrow for things past is of as little importance to me as my dining at home or abroad ought to be to you. My inquiry was only that I might have provided what you liked. Six to four... You have been in the wrong there again, for what I liked yesterday I don't like today, and what I like today, tis odds I mayn't like tomorrow. But if I had asked you what you liked? Why, then there would have been more asking about it than the thing was worth. I wish I did but know how I might please you. I. But that sort of knowledge is not a wife's talent. Whate'er my talent is, I'm sure my will has ever been to make you easy. If women were to have their wills, the world would be finely governed. What reason have I given you to use me as you do of late? It once was otherwise. You married me for love. And you me for money. So you have your reward, and I have mine. What is it that disturbs you? A parson. Why, what has he done to you? He has married me. 
Exit Sir John, Lady Brute, Sola. The devil's in the fellow, I think. I was told before I married him that thus twould be, but I thought I had charms enough to govern him, and that where there was an estate, a woman must needs be happy. So my vanity has deceived me, and my ambition has made me uneasy. But there's some comfort still, if one would be revenged of him. These are good times. A woman may have a gallant and a separate maintenance, too. A surly puppy. Yet he's a fool for it, for hitherto he has been no monster. But who knows how far he may provoke me. I never loved him, yet I have been ever true to him, and that, in spite of all the attacks of art and nature upon a poor weak woman's heart in favor of a tempting lover, methinks so noble a defense I have made should be rewarded with a better usage. Or, who can tell, perhaps a good part of what I suffer from my husband may be a judgment upon me for my cruelty to my lover. Lord, with what pleasure I could indulge that thought, were there but a possibility of finding arguments to make it good. And how do I know but there may? Let me see. What opposes? My matrimonial vow. Why, what did I vow? I think I promised to be true to my husband. Well, and he promised to be kind to me, but he hand kept his word. Why, then, I'm absolved from mine. Aye, that seems clear to me. The argument's good between the king and the people. Why not between the husband and the wife? Oh, but that condition was not expressed. No matter. "'Twas understood. "'Well, by all I see, "'if I argue the matter a little longer with myself, "'I shan't find so many bugbears in the way "'as I thought I should. "'Lord, what fine notions of virtue "'do we women take up upon the credit "'of old foolish philosophers? "'Virtue's its own reward. "'Virtue's this, virtue's that. "'Virtue's an ass.' and a gallant's worth forty on it. Enter Belinda. Good morrow, dear cousin. Good morrow, madam. You look pleased this morning. I am so. With what, pray? With my husband. Drown husbands, for yours is a provoking fellow. As he went out just now, I prayed him to tell me what time of day t'was, and he asked me if I took him for the church clock that was obliged to tell all the parish. He has been saying some good obliging things to me, too. In short, Belinda, he has used me so barbarously of late that I could almost resolve to play the downright wife and cuckold him. That would be downright indeed. Why, after all, there's more to be said for it than you'd imagine, child. I know... According to the strict statute law of religion, I should do wrong. But if there were a court of chancery in heaven, I'm sure I should cast him. 
If there were a house of lords, you might. In either I should infallibly carry my cause. Why, he is the first aggressor, not I. I, but you know we must return good for evil. That may be a mistake in the translation. Prithee, be of my opinion, Belinda, for I'm positive I'm in the right, and if you'll keep up the prerogative of a woman, you'll likewise be positive you are in the right whenever you do anything you have a mind to. But I shall play the fool and jest on till I make you begin to think I'm in earnest. I shan't take the liberty, madam, to think of anything that you desire to keep a secret from me. Alas, my dear, I have no secrets. My heart could never yet confine my tongue. Your eyes, you mean, for I'm sure I have seen them gadding when your tongue has been locked up safe enough. My eyes gadding? Prithee, after who, child? Why, after one that thinks you hate him as much as I know you love him. Constant, you mean? I do so. Lord, what should put such a thing into your head? That which puts things into most people's heads. Observation. Why, what have you observed in the name of wonder? I have observed you blush when you meet him, force yourself away from him, and then be out of humor with everything about you. In a word, never was poor creature so spurred on by desire and so reined in with fear. How strong is fancy! How weak is woman! Prithee, niece, have a better opinion of your aunt's inclination. Dear aunt, have a better opinion of your niece's understanding. You'll make me angry. You'll make me laugh. Then you are resolved to persist. Positively. And all I can say... Will signify nothing. Though I should swear twere false... I should think it true. Then let us both forgive. Kissing her. For we have both offended. I in making a secret, you in discovering it. Good nature may do much, but you have more reason to forgive one than I have to pardon the other. Tis true, Belinda. You have given me so many proofs of your friendship that my reserve has been indeed a crime. But that you may more easily forgive me, remember, child, that when our nature prompts us to a thing our honor and religion have forbid us, we would, were it possible, conceal even from the soul itself the knowledge of the body's weakness. Well, I hope to make your friend amends. You'll hide nothing from her for the future, though the body should still grow weaker and weaker. No, from this moment I have no more reserve. And for a proof of my repentance, I own, Belinda, I'm in danger. Merit and wit assault me from without. Nature and love solicit me within. My husband's barbarous usage piques me to revenge. And Satan, catching at the fair occasion, throws in my way that vengeance which of all vengeance pleases women best. Tis well Constant don't know the weakness of the fortification, for, oh, my conscience, he'd soon come on to the assault. 
Aye, and I'm afraid carry the town, too. But whatever you may have observed, I have dissembled so well as to keep him ignorant. So you see, I'm no coquette, Belinda, and if you follow my advice, you'll never be one neither. Tis true, coquetry is one of the main ingredients in the natural composition of a woman, and I, as well as others, could be well enough pleased to see a crowd of young fellows ogling and glancing and watching all occasions to do forty foolish, officious things. Nay, should some of them push on, even to hanging or drowning, why, faith, if I should let pure woman alone, I should e'en be but too well pleased with it. I'll swear to a tickle me strangely. But, after all, tis a vicious practice in us to give the least encouragement, but where we design to come to a conclusion. For tis an unreasonable thing to engage a man in a disease, which we beforehand resolve we never will apply a cure to. Tis true. But then a woman must abandon one of the supreme blessings of her life, for I am fully convinced no man has half that pleasure in possessing a mistress as a woman has in jilting a gallant. The happiest woman then on earth must be our neighbor. Oh, the impertinent composition. She has vanity and affectation enough to make her a ridiculous original, in spite of all that art and nature ever furnished to any of her sex before her. She concludes all men her captives, and whatever course they take, it serves to confirm her in that opinion. If they shun her, she thinks tis modesty, and takes it for a proof of their passion. And if they are rude to her, tis conduct, and done to prevent town talk. When her folly makes them laugh, she thinks they are pleased with her wit. And when her impertinence makes them dull, Concludes they are jealous of her favors. All their actions and their words she takes for granted, aim at her. And pities all other women, because she thinks they envy her. Pray, out of pity to ourselves, let us find a better subject, for I am weary of this. Do you think your husband inclined to jealousy? Oh, no. He does not love me well enough for that. Lord, how wrong men's maxims are. They are seldom jealous of their wives unless they are very fond of them, whereas they ought to consider the woman's inclination, for there depends their fate. Well, men may talk, but they are not so wise as we. That's certain. At least in our affairs. Nay, I believe we should outdo them in the business of state, too. For methinks they do and undo, and make but bad work on it. Why then don't we get into the intrigues of government as well as they? Because we have intrigues of our own that make us more sport, child. And so, let's in, and consider of them. Exuent. Scene. A dressing room. Enter Lady Fanciful, Mademoiselle, and Cornette. How do I look this morning? Your ladyship looks very ill, truly. 
Lord, how ill-natured thou art, Cornet, to tell me so, though the thing should be true. Don't you know that I have humility enough to be but too easily out of conceit with myself? Hold the glass. I dare swear that will have more manners than you have. Mademoiselle, let me have your opinion, too. My opinion be, madame, that your ladyship never looks so well in your life. Well, the French are the prettiest, obliging people. They say the most acceptable, well-mannered things, and never flatter. Your ladyship say great justice indeed. Nay, everything's just in my house, but Cornet. The very looking-glass gives her the dementi. But I'm almost afraid it flatters me. It makes me look so very engaging. Looking affectedly in the glass. Indeed, madame, your face be handsomer than all the looking-glass in the world. Croyez-moi. But... Is it possible my eyes can be so languishing, and so very full of fire? Madame, if the glass was burning glass, I believe your eyes set the fire in the house. You may take that nightgown, mademoiselle. Get out of the room, Cornet. I can't endure you. This wench, methinks, does look so insufferably ugly. Everything look ugly, madame, that stand by your ladyship. No, really, mademoiselle. Methinks you look mighty pretty. Ah, madame, the moon have no eclat when the sun appear. Oh, pretty expression. Have you ever been in love, mademoiselle? Oui, madame. Sighing. Ah, and were you beloved again? No, madame. Oh, ye gods, what an unfortunate creature should I be in such a case. But nature has made me nice for my own defence. I'm nice, strangely nice, mademoiselle. I believe were the merit of whole mankind bestowed upon one single person— I should still think the fellow wanted something to make it worth my while to take notice of him. And yet I could love, nay, fondly love. Were it possible to have a thing made on purpose for me? For I'm not cruel, mademoiselle. I'm only nice. Ah, madame, I wish I was fine gentleman for your sake. I do all the thing in the world to get little way into your heart. I make song, I make verse, I give you the serenade, I give great many presents to mademoiselle. I know it, I know sleep, I be lean, I be mad, I hang myself, I drown myself. Ah, oh, ma chère dame, que je vous aimerais. Embracing her. Well, the French have strange, obliging ways with them. You may take those two pair of gloves, mademoiselle. Me humbly thank my sweet lady. Enter Cornet. Madam, here's a letter for your ladyship by the penny post. 
some new conquest, I'll warrant you. For without vanity, I looked extremely clear last night when I went to the park. Oh, agreeable! Here's a new song made of me, and ready set too. Oh, thou welcome thing! Kissing it. Call Pipe hither. She shall sing it instantly. Enter Pipe. Here, sing me this new song, Pipe. Fly, fly, you happy shepherds, fly, avoid fillerous charms. The rigour of a heart denies the heaven that's in the arms. Never hope to gaze and then retire, nor yielding to be blessed. Nature who formed her eyes, a fire of eyes composed her breast. That lovely mate is one's believe, a slave whose zeal you move. The gods are less your youth, deceive that heaven consists in love. In spite of all the thanks you owe, you may reproach in this. That where they did their form bestow, they have denied their bliss. Well, there may be faults, mademoiselle, but the design is so very obliging. T'would be a matchless ingratitude in me to discover em. Ma foi, madame, I think the gentleman's song tell you the truth. If you never love, you never be happy. Ah, que j'aime l'amour, moi. Enter servant with another letter. Madam, here's another letter for your ladyship. Tis this way I am importuned every morning, mademoiselle. Pray, how do the French ladies when they are thus... <laughs> Madame, they never complain. Au contraire, when one friend's lady have got hundred lover, then she do all she can to get a hundred more. Well, strike me dead. I think they have le goubon, for tis an unutterable pleasure to be adored by all the men and envied by all the women. Yet... I'll swear I'm concerned at the torture I give em. Lord, why was I formed to make the whole creation uneasy? But let me read my letter. Reads. If you have a mind to hear of your faults, instead of being praised for your virtues, take the pains to walk in the green walk at St. James, with your woman an hour hence. You'll there meet one who hates you for some things, as he could love you for others, and therefore is willing to endeavour your reformation. If you come to the place I mention, you'll know who I am. If you don't, you never shall, so take your choice. This is strangely familiar, mademoiselle. Now I have a provoking fancy to know who this impudent fellow is. Then take your scarf and your mask and go to the rendezvous. The French lady do justement comme ça. Rendez-vous? What rendez-vous with a man, mademoiselle? Eh, pourquoi non? What? And a man perhaps I never saw in my life. Tant mieux. 
C'est donc quelque chose de nouveau Why, how do I know what designs he may have He may intend to ravish me for aught I know. Ravish? Bagatelle. I would fain see one impudent rogue ravish mademoiselle. Oui, je le voudrais. Oh, but my reputation, mademoiselle. My reputation. Mon cher reputation. Madame, quand on l'a une fois perdue, on n'en est plus embarrassé. <laughs> Mademoiselle, fait reputation is a jewel. Qui coûte bien cher, madame. Why, sure, you would not sacrifice your honor to your pleasure. Je suis philosophe. Bless me how you talk. Why, what if honor be a burden, mademoiselle? Must it not be borne? Chacun a sa façon. Quand quelque chose m'incommode, moi... Je m'en défais vite. Get you gone, you little naughty Frenchwoman, you! I vow and swear I must turn you out of doors if you talk thus. Turn me out of doors? Turn yourself out of doors and go see what the gentlemen have to say to you. Tenez, voilà. Giving her her things hastily. Votre écharpe. Voilà votre coiffe. Voilà votre masque. Voilà tout. Eh, Mercure, coquin, call one chair for madame and one other. Calling within. For me. Va-t'en vite. Turning to her lady and helping her on hastily with her things. Allons, madame, dépêchez-vous donc. Mon Dieu, quel scrupule. Well, for once, mademoiselle, I'll follow your advice. Out of intemperate desire, I have to know who this ill-bred fellow is. But I have too much délicatesse to make a practice on it. Belle chose vraiment que la délicatesse lorsqu'il s'agit de se divertir. À ça, vous voilà équipé. Partons. Eh bien, qu'avez-vous donc? J'ai peur. Je n'en ai point moi. I dare not go. Demeurez donc. Je suis poltron. Tant pis pour vous. Curiosity is a wicked devil. C'est une charmante sainte. It ruined our first parents. Elle a bien diverti leurs enfants. L'honneur est contre. Le plaisir est pour. Must I go? Must you go? Must you eat? Must you drink? Must you sleep? Must you live? The nature bid you do one, the nature bid you do the other. Vous me ferez enrager. But when reason corrects nature, mademoiselle. Elle est donc bien insolente, c'est sa sœur aînée. Do you prefer your nature to your reason, mademoiselle? Oui, da. Pourquoi? Because my nature make me merry, my reason make me mad. Ah, le méchant François. Ah, la belle Anglaise. Forcing her lady off. End of Act One.